If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome to Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Will you pray with me? We say it towards the end of summer every year, Holy One, something about getting the most out of the last weeks, the last days of that season. But we don't say it so much about winter, especially after these past few days. We don't hope that it will keep getting dark early. We don't wish that the cold would keep us huddled close to one another. But if we trust what scripture says to be true, that for everything there is a season, then perhaps we should. Maybe it's not yet time for what's next. Maybe we need to stay burrowed a little longer. Maybe we require more time in the darkness After all, we are told that it was when darkness covered the face of the deep that you began to create. For everything there is a season. Don't let us try to leave this one too early, Holy One. With hopeful hearts we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 26, verses 1 through 11. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it, and settle in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name." You shall go to the priest who is in office at the time and say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. When the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor, He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number. 
And there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. You shall set it down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. Then you, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. The book of Deuteronomy is a real doozy. Most people's eyes glaze over when I read from it. Yes, I can see your eyes glaze over from here and even online. There are a lot of laws and statutes in this book. It includes a version of the Ten Commandments. It includes instructions on who should be stoned to death, what should be sacrificed, and when. And that's why our eyes glaze over, right? Because surely none of this applies to us. And maybe that's how the original audience responded too. I mean, after all, the entire book is presented as one gigantically long sermon from Moses. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. But biblical scholars actually think that in all likelihood, the book of Deuteronomy was put together through a complex process that took from at least the 8th century to the 6th century, spanning three significant periods in the history of Israel, which means that the words of this book were given to groups of people who were experiencing wildly different circumstances from each other. The first group were those who had not yet enjoyed the abundant gifts and prosperity of the land. In, in other words, these were people who had not yet come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, as the text says. And, and the second group heard these words, but they had indeed come into the land and had been enjoying the benefits of the land, those that could harvest the first fruits of the ground, as you heard. And then the third group of people to hear this text were people in exile or under siege, people who had experienced the loss of all those benefits of living on the land. One of the biblical commentaries noted that the book of Deuteronomy is, quote, a significant hermeneutical endeavor, which is the author's way of saying, this is complicated, good luck. <laughs> I'm not sure it's actually that complicated. It seems to me like it is useful advice, no matter what season of life we're in. After all, we are hardly ever in the same season of life as our neighbors, whether they are sitting in the pew behind us or living in the house across the street from us or 
across the world in Ukraine. Sometimes we're not even in the same season of life as our own family members. But this text ties us all together. The heart of the text, the verses 5 through 10, is usually characterized as a short historical creed, a confession of faith that was recited early in ancient Israel. When the Israelites brought their offerings to the priest, they were to recite the liturgy we read starting in verse 5. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien. And then the creed takes a stroll through the history of Israel. You may have recognized some of the references, even though there is an absence of proper nouns. The text was not written with us in mind, so it didn't really get into the weeds. It assumes that subtle hints would be enough for those who were closer in time to be familiar with the people and events it alludes to. The wandering Aramean in verse 5 is a reminder that the story of God and God's people is populated almost exclusively by landless wanderers, people the text commonly refer to as aliens or foreigners, people who had nothing but their name and the clothes on their back, people at the mercy of others, people who were lost, people who were found, people who were lost again, and then found again. For the Israelites, the phrase, a wandering Aramean was my ancestor, would have set off a domino effect of memory. First, Abraham and Sarah wandering away from their home for a place God would show them. Then through the wandering of Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Rachel, and then on to Joseph and his coat of many colors, who was involuntarily forced to wander because his brothers sold him off. And then he was trapped for years, and his traumatic journey ultimately gained him legal status and safety for his family, even the ones who had caused the trauma. But when they arrived in that land and became prosperous, things got dark. The Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians, but one of those Israelites risked everything by turning over her tiny baby to the government. That baby grew up to be Moses, who would eventually lead his people, a caravan of desperate refugees, wandering through the desert towards freedom. As you can hear, the creed relies heavily on memory, and memory can be a dangerous thing. It can trick us into thinking there was such a thing as the good old days. People get stuck wishing for the past. But Bill Coffin wrote, memory, properly used, is like a running broad jump. It takes you back only to launch you further forward. And so that's why this creed includes some things that aren't quite so bright and shiny. 
When we think about the practice of reciting this creed from the viewpoint of the three different historical contexts we noted earlier, we can imagine how differently these words hit for those different groups. For the Israelites who still had sand in their shoes and no roof over their heads, they had to stand on the promise of this creed. They had to trust that if they kept going, they would make it. This creed was a reminder that they were headed towards the promised land. So keep walking. For those Israelites who had heard this text after they had unpacked their suitcases and put away their sleeping bags, they were reminded that after all that wandering, they did indeed come into the land. They found rest. They planted roots. But they could not forget how long and hard the journey was. It's important to note that the offering brought is not intended to stock the temple or feed the priests. It was not a tithe, which is described in other places in Deuteronomy. No, this offering brought these first fruits were meant to feed those on the margins, those who did not have enough. The text uses Levites who weren't given land and resident aliens, those people who didn't own what they needed, who were dependent on others. And this creed was a reminder for those who had found rest to be ready to offer the kind of help they had once so badly needed themselves. And for the Israelites who had lost everything, whose lives had been turned upside down, who were exiled or who were on the run, this creed was a reminder that they had been here before. Their ancestors had had everything taken away, but had not given up. This creed was a reminder that faith is most necessary during times of grief and uncertainty. We must have the faith to doubt that all is lost, that the ship is sinking. This creed was a reminder that they came from people who found a place to rebuild. And so it can be for us. To be sure, we're a non Creedal people, the United Church of Christ, does not have a list of things you must believe in order to belong, but it might do us some good to have this one in our back pocket, even just the first phrase. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor, and that should be enough to get us going, enough to jog our memory, to recall those seasons of life that are different than the one we are currently in, nudging us to respond faithfully, no matter what. For some of us, this creed is a reminder to put one foot in front of the other. Do the next right thing. Keep going. We come from people who wandered in the desert for 40 years. We can do this. For some of us, this creed is a reminder that we should be building a bigger table, 
putting out more place settings, inviting others to share in the abundance we currently enjoy. This creed is a reminder that when, of the times when we wandered in uncertainty, unsure when we would catch a break, find a place to rest, or ever have a sense of peace. So let's turn on the porch light for someone else to find their way. For some of us, this is a reminder that if we lose everything, we can hold fast to the sure and certain hope that love will see us through. This creed is a reminder that we've been here before. We know what we've lost. We know how our hearts have been broken, which also means that we know the only way out is through. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. And then we get to fill in the rest. Stories of when we were lost and found and lost again and found again. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.